sometimes in life we have people that can say they love us and, and promise us things. But this is the kind of love you'll never get like anybody else. So here it is. Nothing can separate. Cause even if I ran away, it's your love never fails. I know I still make mistakes. I know I still make mistakes. But you have the mercies for me every day. Cause your love never fails. Well, I'm you stay sad. You stay safe through the ages Cause your love never changes It may be pain in the night But joy comes in the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid Because I know that you love me Sing it out! Cause your love never fails You see it Well nothing can separate Even if I ran away Cause your love never fails Let me see, I know I still make sense I know I still make mistakes, but you have the mercy for me every day. Cause your love never fails. Let me see you stay the same. You stay the same through the ages. Cause your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the ocean rage, I don't have to be afraid because I know that you love me. Because your love never fails, never fails, your love never fails. Your love never fails. The question you got. Your love never changes. 
Everything you are, you 
even in the day where I didn't get a chance to say thank you, you know, sometimes I, I'll forget to pray before a meal, and even when I'm just worshiping, I'll just be like, God, thank you for all the meals. And, you know, my family, sometimes I take them for granted, but when I close my eyes and just start worshiping, I'll just say thank you, God, for my family. Helps me focus. We're going to sing this again, No Place I'd Rather Be Than Here in Your Love. And I want you just to use your imagination. You know, imagination is not bad. It doesn't mean we're immature or childish. But we're using the imagination that bursts hope and faith and vision. I want you just to imagine right now the greatest image of a father you can. Some of you might not have had the greatest earthly father. Some of you can't imagine your father being like this. Others can't. But just go even beyond the bad or good you experience. And I want you to think of what the greatest father in the world would be like. And imagine what it would be like to sit down with your father and share all that's going on in your heart. I'm 34 years old, and I have more questions about life than I did when I was 14 years old. And even some of them, my earthly father, he doesn't know. But you know what? My heavenly father does. And there are some troubles that I face that, you know, even my best friends, they don't know what to say. But God always does. And so I want you to imagine this today, that he's your father. You're in his presence because he's everywhere. And right now, you're just going to let him know, Papa, Daddy, there's no place I'd rather be. I came to your house tonight, Dad. I came home. I just want to tell you I love you. That's what this song is saying. So let's just sing it again. If you want to raise your hands, you can do that as a sign of surrender, as a sign of adoration. You know, concerts and sporting events don't get the only, you know, to raise their hands for those things. They're not the only ones. I think God's greater than sporting events and concerts. So let's just sing it again. No place I'd rather be. And as we sing it, come on, put yourself in the Father's arms. Believe tonight that he's here because he is.
you hear the cries of our heart, the whispers of our soul, and God, you know that you are able to do these things that we ask according to your will. Lord, we ask you to bless this service. Let your name be made known to all of us. Let the conversations be uplifting, the, the hanging out, the friendship, encouraging, and the prayer time powerful at the end. We just invite you to be here with us, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Can you all bless the Lord for being at church today with a good hashtag? Come on. This is the time for you to get to know your neighbors and everything. So you guys just uh, talk to each other while this song is playing right here. Just introduce yourself to each other right now if you could, please. Welcome to Metro Praise. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Sundays and Wednesdays, and we started this on Tuesdays five weeks ago. So happy fifth week anniversary. Amen. Some hands after that. So random pick a hand clap for, but we're here, right? Isn't that cool? We're here. We're excited that uh, you showed up, and uh, we're seeing new faces every week, and it takes time to build a new congregation, and uh, we're just so thankful you have come here. So it's going to keep continuing to be every Tuesday of the week, every Tuesday right here at Chopin Theater at 7 o'clock. We just want to invite you guys to keep coming out. Our vision is to love God and love people. Can somebody say love God? Thank you. Can you say love people? Can I look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I love people like you. And look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, not so much. No, we're teasing. We're teasing. But uh, Jesus talked about loving God, loving people being the greatest thing we can do in life. And that's what we're here to do. And we have a strategy. Can everybody say strategy? Thank you very much. We want to connect you to the cross. And the way we connect you to the cross is through our life group. And it meets right now every Sunday at 5 p.m. at Chris and Vanessa's house. And uh, it's time to snack on Bible study. You all excited back there. And uh, while you're there at the connect stage, you can get one of our books to start one of our discipleship courses. 
And this basically is the basics of Christianity, teaching you how to pray, read your Bible, and learn more about God. So this is really cool. And the life group is just a place to hang out. It's like a house, house party. Does anybody like parties? Okay, you all cool? All right, so you all need to come out. And that's the connect stage. And then everybody say, mentor. Thank you. You know, Jesus said to go into the world and make disciples. And we really want to do this here. Some of you have already started this book and going to the life groups. But when you graduate that, you can start coming here Tuesdays early, and we'll start our like Sunday school class on Tuesday. We'll call it Tuesday school class. Amen? Okay, that'll be cool. And uh, basically, it's like 12 steps to being a leader, because we believe that God intended us to be leaders and not followers. And so if everybody can be a leader, we can change this world for good. Can somebody say, let's do it? Okay, so connect to the cross. Learn about the cross. And then the last thing is send. Everybody go, I don't can... See, we want to send the love wherever we go. So if we're like in Starbucks, I don't can send the love. And they're like this, you want a latte broken out the latte with, you know, a little sprinkles? Like, yes. And then like as they're doing it, you're like, hey, guess what? Jesus loves you. I don't get And there's like, that's how we want it to be. Okay? And then they'll be like, those are the weirdies. Yes, we are the weirdies who love bomb. Amen? Can somebody say amen to love bombs? Okay, we're not crazy. Uh, and, and what we do with the sending, by the way? We go out Saturday to the west side. We do ministry out there to the African-American inner city. We also do youth groups. This is our youth pastor. We also go to high schools. And even before uh, our services here, we have times of uh, handing out free water in the fall and winter, uh, summer. And winter, we're going to do hot chocolate. Everybody go, hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Hey, that's pretty cool. Hey, we're going to do that stuff. Okay. So the vision is love God, love people. The strategy is connect, mentor, set, and our goal. Everybody say goal. Come on, like we are Latino soccer players. Like, cool! Everybody go, cool! And then the goal is 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches, but we got 48 more to go, and 500 around the world, and we have 200 of those, and you'll hear about that in just a minute. If you believe we can do it, everybody say, let's do it! Let's do it. Thank you very much. I appreciate your participation in announcements. It makes it fun. Hey, guys, we are starting a new series. That means today is the end of the Who is Jesus series. So Rocker Jesus is going to put away his guitar and go back up to heaven, you know, playing the harp. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus is awesome. We're going to keep loving Jesus, of course. But uh, the Rocker Jesus series is over. We did that to get people's attention. You know, Jesus as a DJ. A lot of different people think Jesus is different things. Today's going to be the last one on that, and it's going to be Jesus, the only way or a way among many. So we're going to talk about that. But uh, now for uh, the rest of the weeks after this, it's going to be discover what you were made for. Everybody go, ooh. See, we are going to answer the big questions of life. Here are the big W's of life. Can we just pause? Just, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going when I die? And where are my keys? Yes, you can be playing now. That was my dramatic, that, that was me in this uh, drama atmosphere. We're going to talk about the big W's of life, okay? So bring friends. So if you think a friend's lost themselves, you know, and they got to be where bring them here. If you think somebody's lost in life, bring them here. And uh, if, they, if they don't know where they go, where they go, they die, bring them here. And then if you're one of those people like me who lose your keys everywhere you go, and you have to have one of these now so you don't lose your keys, this is a carabiner for rock climbing. So I just put this right here literally because I lost my keys so often, okay? You need to come because this is going to have a twist to it. The conclusion, the finale, it's going to be awesome. So we say awesome. Awesome. Great, great. Would you guys all stand with me, please? Let's stretch out for a few moments. I want to encourage you today to help support what we're doing here. Uh, you know, it's not free to meet here. We don't have a lot of expenses, but all we have is friends. 
It's about $350 per rent a week here. And uh, we're not quite bringing that in yet, so we saved up some shekels before we got here. We don't want anybody to feel they have to. But we would like to ask you to start helping us so we can keep, you know, coming and doing what we do here and all the free things we give out. Uh, the way that the Bible teaches this is a tithe. Can everybody say a tithe? Thank you. Now, I was taught this from a small child that whenever I was given, I would give 10% back to God. And simply what that means is God always gets my first fruit. Before Uncle Sam takes out the taxes, in my mind, that 10% belongs to the Lord. So whenever I get a check or when my parents would give me an allowance, I would, you know, say I got $400 for a check or $10 for allowance. I would take out that 10%, whether it's, you know, a dollar or $4 or $40, whatever it is, and I would give it to God. And the Bible teaches that when I would do that, I was taking out the love of money. I was storing up treasures in heaven and breaking the power of greed upon this earth and changing the world with my gifts. Instead of this more consumerism, you know, helping the hurting. And I want to encourage you, if you want to start to do that, we can sure use your help. Those envelopes, you know, smart uh, check out the Metro Brace. We also have online giving. And be honest with God. We're not going to check. We're not keeping records. And by giving 10% to this house, you're saying to God, this is my church, this is the place I believe in, and I want to help them do great things. And everybody say offering. Thank you. No, thank you. Now, offering is what we offer to God after that time. So 10% minus 100% is how much percent? Okay, let's try this again. 100% minus 10%. Thank you, 90%. So God says, that's yours. You can do whatever you want. You want to go get an iPad? You want to go get an iPhone? You want to get it? Uh, maybe you guys won't get that for this. But my church wants the best, too. You know? So uh, we, we give. But you know what? I can't afford this unless people give offerings. And you say, Pastor, this is the best right here. But you know what? If we didn't have this computer, it wouldn't work. And so why do we have projector screens and all this? Because people give offerings. Because if all we do is pay the rent, how do I have the equipment to do what I need to do? So what we do for offerings, we split it up. And it's on your offering envelope. It says missions and building fund. And when you give the building, it allows us to buy any of these cool things that we have in the building. And when you give the missions, it allows us to plant churches all over the world. How many are cool that we have nice things in the building? Are you guys cool with that? Amen. Amen. You might say, oh, I don't know. But yeah, it's better than not having, you know, something that falls apart. And missions, ministers, we have 200 churches around the world, four different nations. Pakistan, India, Nepal, and Nigeria. When you give to the mission, you circle, 100% goes there. And what do we do for them? We, we, we bought a motorcycle so they can travel around. We give them computers. And all of these books are translated in their language. And also we provide facilities for them. And at times we're able to start feeding programs. Those are things we want to do more. You understand? So when you give, we're able to supply the churches that need, and then they can start helping the community. And right now our mission budget has been about 1200 a month with the, the main campus. So we want to keep giving to those missionaries. Everybody say, let's do it. Let's do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. That God, we have some pretty nice stuff because people have given so we can do it. And Lord, uh, we, we have to ask you for more because God, uh, we don't pay the rent here. God, we can't come back next month. And uh, Lord, we have to ask you, God, for more equipment because sometimes the stuff we have breaks or we need new things. And Lord, I know the people here tonight, they relate to that because they want a nice house or a car or clothes. And Lord, you taught us that we would be more blessed to give than to receive. And I know so often, even in the economic hardship, it's hard for us to see putting the church first and its, and its needs before our own. But God, you said, if we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, all the other things we need will be added unto us. So Lord, I pray against the spirit of greed. That would say we can't trust you with our 90%. That we would have to hold on to it and be greedy with 100% when you've asked for 10. 
And Lord, I ask for those who are generous givers that would say, you know what, I want to go above and beyond the offering, I mean the tithe, and I want to give offerings so that we can do things outside of uh, this one location, do missions, and so that our building can have more things, more nicer things for the people to come and enjoy. And Lord, I just pray you bless our churches around the world, Nepal, and Nigeria, Pakistan, and India, and our soldiers in America that protect our freedoms. God, we ask you to bless America in these hard times and bless our people with jobs and a good economy and our leadership and in, in, in the big decisions they're making that, Lord, you'll give them wisdom. God, basically what we're just saying is, is help us, Lord, to be a blessing to this world that we live in. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Let's read what Paul said on the count of three. One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. If you're excited, can I just hear you say amen one more time? Amen. You may be seated as we receive our time and offering. Thank you so much for your gifts. They certainly make the difference. Here's a cool video to watch as you get to show you what we do around the world. Don't judge me, man. 
Don't you judge me. Two plus two is six. And that's what I believe. You can't judge me because you know what? Everybody's got their own belief about mathematics, and this is my belief. You see, when we take away absolute truth, statements stop making sense, and things that we take for granted actually have to be redefined and redefined until we actually uh, almost lose the meaning of what we're talking about. So the simple question tonight is, do you believe absolute truth exists? Two plus two is four. Is that absolutely true for everybody? Are there absolute truths in this world? Yes or no? I want to put on this cool little video. I want you guys to look around, ask your friends, and then we'll have the time of discussion and see what you guys think. Cool? Okay. So you guys look around now, and you guys ask each other, do you believe in absolute truth? I want to know. Start a little discussion. Come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, I don't think there's any such thing as an absolute truth. They keep, you 
trying to track with you, so you're, you're agreeing but disagreeing, but I don't know where to say we disagree with you. If you're saying you know two plus two is four, but not absolutely, I guess my thing would be, if it's not absolutely true, then what type of true is it? Is it just true for me, true, not true for you, or relatively true, or? Pass the mic to your friend. He has a question or a comment, and then you can comment again. I think maybe. Right, what he says about the whole two plus two thing, the fact that we created that, yeah. and we are humans and we make mistakes, so it might be true in our life, but actuality is not. But um, also, too, the way I feel about absolute true is the fact that, yeah, you know, you can say something to be true, but it's on the next person and accept it. So, doesn't mean it's not absolutely true. So, you're saying it could be true for you, but not true for somebody else? No, I, they, it's on them to accept it. Just because they don't accept it doesn't mean it's not true. So, it is still true then? Like gravity, if somebody says, I don't accept gravity, is it still true? Exactly. Got it. Awesome. Miles, did you want to say something? Thank you. The mic helps because we're doing a webcast and sometimes people watch it from home. Thank okay. you. Okay. The individual, I mean, truth comes from the heart. It has to be there. It has to be there. I mean, you feel it. It just has to be there. It's like, I am the truth, I am the way. That's it. I mean, he gave the perfect example. Wonderful. Uh, Ryan, I'll let you have the last word, and then uh, we'll go into tonight's lesson. If anybody else wants to take the last word from Ryan, well, Bobby wants the last word. Okay, so we'll let Bobby have the last word. Go ahead, Ryan. Sure. Um, yeah, I think we'll talk after this. That's cool. But uh, it's just basically a lot of the time saying two plus two is four. That's the definition statement. It will be found in the world what that was, and that statement would be considered true by us. For sure. Well, that's what I believe truth is. When it comes to its definition, is truth is that which lines up with reality. So that sounds like we're saying the same thing. Bobby, you get the last word. Bobby? Uh, if I was to think that yesterday, today, forever, how, yeah. how, how do we perceive that being an absolute truth? The question is, how do we perceive Jesus being the same today, yesterday, forever? Okay, I'm trying to track with you here. Like, yeah. I mean, how, how is he? Oh, good question. So, to rephrase it so those can understand, it's a Christian Christological issue. If Jesus came from heaven, being a spiritual being, took on flesh, then became spiritual and flesh, then died and rose from the dead, all of these changes, how is the scripture true? Because there's a scripture that says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Does everybody understand the question now? Okay, cool. That was just for me as well because I didn't understand it at first, so that's good. Uh, now, how he's true is character character he's gone through these changes of coming in the flesh and all of uh, the work he did upon the life you know when he got hungry now he changed he, he ate he was full now he changed so what the bible is saying he's the same as in his character he's always been holy he's always been loved he's always been good that's what that's what it means awesome I, okay, this is it. This is the last one. You guys just got talkative today. Come on. Man, we got really loud for this. Finally, only five weeks. That's all it took. Five weeks. Yeah, you know, I was listening to what you just said. Jesus said that God was the same today. Okay. I'm sorry, sorry not to interrupt, but it, it does say Jesus in Hebrews. Jesus personally is the same. So it's not talking about the Father. The scripture he's referring to, it does I say Jesus. I don't know what the focus is. No, I was in Hebrews actually says Jesus. Because you would have said the Father's always the same, correct? Right. Yeah, yeah. No, it actually says Jesus, so. 
Clarification. Awesome. Let's give it up. I know my brother loves it more too. But yeah, we'll show you that scripture at the end of service if you want to see, but it does say. Great. Let's open up our Bibles to uh, John 14 and 1, please. 12, 10, 4. Boy, that makes me excited. I don't want to do that every week. No. <laughs> Five weeks, it was just crickets. And then that one person was just, go. Finally, awesome. Okay, today's lesson is going to be on our last part of the series, Who is Jesus? To recap what we learned of who is Jesus, God or man, we learned the first week that Jesus was God. Uh, the second week was that Jesus, a dead man or our resurrected Savior, we learned he's our Savior. Uh, last week, which was our third week, was is Jesus just a good man or was he a miracle worker? We talked about miracles and uh, some people saw or uh, heard testimonies that we've seen as miracles, and so we believe that. And here's the last one, the only way or a way among many. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John 14, verse 1, and uh, let's look to it today. And you guys have more questions about truth and relative truth and absolute truth, we'd love to talk to you guys afterwards. And once again, thanks for the great discussion. Okay, here is John 14, 1 through 6. It's already been referenced by Miles, uh, the Bible student that he is as well. And we're going to read it in its total context. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus talking here, by the way. He said, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Uh, I would have told you. I am going there to play, prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So let's just pause right here. This is towards the end of Jesus' life. John is recording that Jesus is now hanging out with his disciples, and he's preparing them for the crucifixion and resurrection and his ascent back to heaven. Okay, so we believe that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, went to heaven. He doesn't want them to be shocked, like, hey, where's Jesus? Oh, he went to heaven. Yeah, right, tell me where he's at. No, he's like preparing them for this. They're going to kill me. They're going to end my life, just previous chapters of this. And he says, and when they do so, I am going to resurrect and go back to heaven. And when I'm in heaven, you're going to wonder what I'm doing up there. I'm preparing a place for you. This is actually where we get the idea of mansions. Because it says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And this is where we get the idea of mansions, many rooms. When you think of a house with many rooms, what do you think of? Mansions. Mansions have many rooms. That's where we get this idea. And so he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. So he's going to go to heaven, and he says, guys, you know how to meet me up there. Like, you know, come meet me at my house tomorrow. You know, you know how to get there. That's what he says. Now, Thomas says, uh, uh, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going, number one. So how do we know the way to get there? So listen to what Thomas says. He's known in the Bible as Doubting Thomas, but he was a very smart man. It's not like he doubted because... You know, he's the, uh, the Gomer Pyle of the group. He, he's the man that really doesn't uh, see things spiritually. It's only naturally. But in the natural world, he's probably very brilliant, you know. And uh, he was able to put things together in his mind very rationally. But God is speaking spiritual things to him. So look at what he says. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Basically, I don't know where heaven's at. I don't know if you've ever been there, hung out with Jesus in the pearly gate. But he said, I don't know where heaven's at, Jesus. I don't know where you're going. And then he says, let alone, so how do I know the way to get there? Can't take the L, the blue line. Can't get on the bus. Everybody track with me. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, Jesus answered these famous words right here. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Everybody say, through me. Through me. Thank you. 
So Jesus is simply teaching us here that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. I'm going to move this out of your guys' way so we can participate in case that was in somebody's way. I want you to think about Jesus answering those two questions. Uh, Thomas said, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know how to get there. Where does he say he's going? He's going to the Father. He's going to the Father. Where does the Father live? We call this place heaven. Inapproachable light is another term for it. So he says, this is where I'm going, to the Father. Now how do you get there? You get there through him. No one can get to the Father except through him. And his description here is trifold, three things, wraps it all up together. He is saying that he is the way. So that means how do we get to the Father? What's the way to the Father? It's through Jesus. What is the truth that I need to know about the Father, the many rooms, the kingdom to come? The truth is all in Jesus. And everything that I want to know about life, eternal life, the life that I have on this planet, and the life that I'll have in the world to come, eternal life, is all found in Jesus. Can everybody say Jesus? Jesus. Thank you very much. Now, as we begin to talk about Jesus, we're going to start to find out there's a lot of opinions about Jesus in the world. And there's a lot of religions, you know. Some people like Jesus, some people don't. And one of the things that you see out there is this bumper sticker, coexist. How many have ever seen the coexist thing? Okay, cool. For those of you who have to have it, it's like a bumper sticker, coexist, all the religions are there. And I want you to read this with me. It's kind of funny, a little slanted, but it's a little funny. And I think we'll lighten us up a little bit. So uh, the C with the star, the moon, represents Islam. The peace sign, pacifism. Uh, the E, the gay rights, you know, boy and the male there, I mean, the boy and the girl symbols there. Judaism, the Star of David. Paganism, the pentagram. Taoism, the, uh, I almost want to say the Wu-Tang. The yin thank you. Wu-Tang. Taoism. How do you like my style? Here we go. Uh, Christianity is obviously the cross. So this person kind of teases this a little bit. Let's, let's read it and see if we can find some funny things here. Uh, here he goes. Islam wants to kill the gays, Judaism, and Christians, and passes, passes this. If Islam got its way, Taoism and uh, paganism would convert or die. Passivism can only offer nonviolent resistance to Islam. The problem is Islam has no trouble suppressing dissent with violence, so pacifism would be wiped out. The homosexuals have been suppressed by all religions, which makes it intolerant of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Judaism is threatened by annihilation, not only by Islam, but also by pacifism, who supports Islam and Judaism, over Judaism. Paganism and Taoism are statistically insignificant, but needed to help the sticker make sense. Christianity is who the sticker is directed against, but poses no threat to the others. Everybody go, aha. So you see a point here that uh, this writer is trying to make a little slanted towards Islam. Uh, I think it's fair in some ways because I've read the Quran and I do think that if, uh, if, if, if the majority of people read the Quran the way it was meant to be read, the majority would be uh, extremists because I think that's the way uh, Muhammad was. And we can talk about that later and have a book on that as well. Uh, what I see this saying to us is basically exposing the lie that we're all really the same. That we, we can't go into the math class and see little Johnny working on his math equation. Two plus two is five. Well, that's good, Johnny. That's good for you. And then the next one, two plus two is four. Well, that's good for you. You see, a lot of times when we come to religion, we want to think that everybody can be true. I mean, come on. Let's stop picking on each other. Let's just all get along, coexist, and we're all worshiping the same God anyways, right? 
And all these good people, these prophets, they were all just doing the right thing. And what were they basically teaching? What was their message? Just be good to your neighbor, right? Well, I think this, uh, this little uh, poem or joke, a riddle in a sense, uh, basically tells us that we're not all the same. The bottom line is we're all not worshiping the same God the same way. I still believe as a Christian there is one God, one truth, but I don't believe everybody has that. And I want you to give me your best ear today as you can. And if you can't uh, get it all today, I want to recommend these books that I've been using for our series. And uh, I'm not selling them at the bookstore for $5.99 with holy water plus shipping and handling. Okay? <laughs> so there is no like uh, televangelist scam going on here. These are just books you can get at Amazon or the library wherever. And uh, they're here to help you understand more about Jesus. The book that I've been recommending for beginners is More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. Really cool book. Uh, the next book that's uh, for the intermediate is Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. He also has a great website, LeeStrobel.com. You can see a lot of his videos there also on YouTube. For those that are a little more advanced and maybe you're taking a comparative religious class, uh, you're in college, this would be college level reading. Craig Evans, Fabricating Jesus. And then once again, if you're just really nerdy and you're just already maybe on a seminary level of these subjects, this is where Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, written by Richard Balkin, really awesome, okay? So make sure you check out those books if you have questions. Now I want us to look at what Jesus was saying here. John 14, 6, Jesus is pretty declarative in his beliefs about himself. Now, do you remember the trilemma that I brought up to you guys in the first week by C.S. Lewis? Does anybody remember that? Okay, one person that I'm failing as a pastor, okay? There you go, more of thank you. Okay, the trilemma was this. Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or what? Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, do you understand why a statement like this can only be perceived those three ways? Either Jesus knew he wasn't the way and he's trying to convince us of something that's not true, so this is a lie. He's not the way, he's not the truth, he's not the lie. Is everybody tracking with me? He knows he's not, but he's, he's trying to deceive us. He's trying to make some money off of us. He's trying to get a religion started. Or the other option is, he's a lunatic. Dude, he is like the guy wearing the fur coat in the middle of July, riding the L train, asking you for five dollars to get back to Cleveland, okay? He's this guy. Hey man, I'm the way to the truth, and like nobody. Nobody gets a hundred dollars me, and he got five dollars. Now, is Jesus that lunatic? No, he, okay, so he's, he's not lying, uh, because liars seem to get contradicted over time. They never catch Jesus in the lie. You know, you've had friends that think they're pretty cool. they got a Camaro, but it's just in the shop and the bedroom loves. You know what I'm saying? And uh, they have had a hotter girlfriend than, you know, than what you can imagine they have. They've dated all this. You know, you know what I'm talking about? We lie about jobs and what? Jesus is never caught in a lie. Jesus is not a lunatic because people take him very serious. People dedicate their life to him. A world religion was started by his teachings as the world's largest religion today. Many of them were skeptics, like Paul was actually trying to kill Christians until he came to know Jesus. So we don't follow lunatics like that. Nobody right now is running around going, Marilyn Manson is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, or uh, Charlie Manson, rather. Even Marilyn Manson can be considered a lunatic. Is everybody with me? <laughs> Marilyn Manson, Charlie Manson, both lunatics in some sense. Uh, okay. Here we go is the one solution that I think it has to be. He is Lord. He's actually telling us, hey guys, I am the way. It's not a lie, and I'm not crazy. I am the way to the Father. You're not getting there except by me. I am the truth. Anything you want to know, I'm going to tell you. Anything other than that is a lie. Listen to me. 
And then I'm the life. No life except for me. Jesus, I believe, is saying that. And here's what it means in the Greek. The way in Greek, holodos, it means the road or pathway. He is saying, I am the pathway to the Father. No one has another pathway except mine. The word truth, aletheia, is divine reality. There is not going to be a divine reality without Jesus Christ. That is what he's stating. In some way, it's not just the life that we breathe in and out through our lungs and the life of plants. The Zoe in the Greek is indestructible life, also known as eternal life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting Zoe, life, indestructible life. Is everybody tracking with me here? So Jesus said something pretty radical about himself. You can't put Jesus on the buffet of religion. I'll take a little Jesus, a little Christian on the side. I'd like some Buddha. I haven't eaten that for a while. Oh, you want some Muhammad? No, cut back, man. Just cut back with some Muhammad. Is everybody talking with me right here? Yeah. It's like sometimes I'm handing out flyers. You know, I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm like, oh, you cut back on Jesus, huh? Yeah, I'm cut back. You know, it's like people think about Jesus. I just don't cut back on Jesus. You know, going to be meditation, some yoga. We're not understanding Jesus does not want to be on the buffet of religion. He's saying, I'm the only one. That's what he said. He's the only one. He's the only truth. He's the only life. Now you understand C.S. Lewis's trimonial. Because for a man to make that statement 2,000 years ago, he either is lying or he is a lunatic, or you and I better hit our knees, bow down, and say, yes, Lord, I'm following you because you're the one that has a life after this life. Amen? I mean, that's, I mean this is serious now. We're, we're talking about heaven and hell is at stake here if this man is true. Now, I want you to think about what other people have said, okay? Religious pluralism is so popular today that you and I might think that this is what Jesus taught. So I want you to see what religious pluralism is, what other religions teach, and then what Jesus taught about it, okay? Religious pluralism is to believe one's religion is not the sole and exclusive source of truth, and thus they are many right paths to God. Religious pluralism says there are many Holodosis, many Greek pathways. Remember the word for, for way is hodos, pathway. The religious pluralist says, you guys, you fundies, you fundamentalists, you're no fun, you're just fundies. You're trying to tell us God told Jesus he's the only way. Come on now. Come on, you know Mahatma Gandhi, he was a good guy. You know Buddha was a good guy. You guys are just the one causing all the trouble in the world. You know, you guys are just so exclusive. You know, you're not inclusive. Let me ask you a question today. I've been using this math thing for a while. But if there's absolute truth, doesn't everybody have an absolute truth they hold to and reject other things? Do we give those people a hard time? What about the person today that believes in gravity? You are such an exclusivist. Look at you, you believer in gravity. There's other people out there that don't believe in gravity. What about them? Hello? Do we ever see anybody talking like that? No, because we all seem to believe that's absolute. And for somebody to say, I don't believe in an absolute truth, we're like... Well, that may be too bad for them. And I'm not trying to take these conversations lightly. I'm just trying to say, isn't everybody exclusive in some things? Okay? Like your gender. I walk up to you, you're a man. Well, you're just a cute little girl. Yes, you are. Come on, Dad, stand up. Let me just as an example. <laughs> you're just a cute girl. You're just a cute girl. You dressed up as a little ballerina at the Halloween. Hmm? How many know that that's a little offensive? You may sit down because you know I love you, you macho man, you. Come on, you single ladies, right? Oh, well, I'm a man. Well, that's just your opinion. Do we talk like this? 
No, because we actually we, we actually believe in absolute truth. We don't walk up to a man and go, you're just a little ballerina, aren't you? No, we believe things in this world are absolute. We base our life on these things. When the red light turns red, what do we do? We stop. When the green light turns green, what do we do? Because we, we believe that. Now, why would we park our brain, our rational mind, at the door of religion and not just say, oh, they're all right, just, okay, and, and just believe what you want as long as you believe it sincerely. Well, if sincere belief counts for something, I'm going to go to the bank and go, listen to me, man, I am a millionaire. I don't care what those numbers tell you. Sincerely, man, I believe it. Now, you go check those numbers again because I know I'm a millionaire. Uh, you have $4.75 in the bank account, sir. No, I'm a millionaire, I tell you. You see, we check out our brain. We think that when we come to this uh, thing called religion, well, I'm going to believe in two things. Well, that's cool. That's good. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to believe in Jesus. Well, that's cool. That's good for you. Well, I'm going to believe in Buddha. Well, that's good. We kind of get to this ushy-gushy coexisting. Let's not offend anybody because there can't be only one way. Isn't that what we hear so much today in class? How about the study of comparative religions? Well, this guy taught this, and this guy taught this. That means they're all together. That means they're all together. And I want you to see that religious pluralism is not a Christian idea, never has been. And I want you to hear what other religions have thought. Maybe you might like these religions better because of that, but you can't have Jesus in that. So let's just look at what they said. Here's Buddhism. The Dalai Lama talking, the main guy for Buddhism. He says, I'm a Buddhist. Therefore, Buddhism is the only truth for me, the only religion. To my Christian friend, Christianity is the only truth, the only religion. To my Muslim friend, Islam is the only truth, the only religion. In the meantime, I respect and admire my Christian friend and my Muslim friend. Does that sound like what Jesus was just talking a few moments ago? How about Hinduism? Here's some Vedic Karam. Truth is one though the sages know it variously. So there's one truth, but we all kind of see it differently. I'm going to show you an example of that in just a moment. We'll see if that holds water. But let's keep going. Islam, the one that we've been talking about, sometimes you know they make it a bad rap in our society, but even they are religious pluralists in some sense. Here is the writing of the Quran in Surah 29, Ayah 46, and dispute not with the people of the book. Arabic al-Kitab, the people of the book except with means better than mere disputation, unless I be with those of them who inflict wrong and injury. But say to them, so what are we supposed to say to those who have other books, especially the Christian and to the Jew? We believe in the revelation which has come down to us and that which has come down to you. Our God, your God, one. And it is to him that we bow. Hey, you got the Bible, we got the Quran. Let's just be friends. Want to put a little Book of Mormon in there? A little cherry on top? A little, little, uh, you know, little polytheism? Have a few gods up on your own planet when you die? Oh, yeah, that's what we like it. Look at your neighbor and say, like it. Okay, some of you don't like me right now, but that's okay. I'm going to make you like it. Okay, the Baha'is. Oh, these guys are cool, very smart, intelligent people. Here's what the Bohala says in his writings. God's word is revealed through a series of messengers. Abraham, Krishna, Moses, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and now Baha'u'llah. These principles and laws, these firmly established and mighty systems, have proceeded from one source, one source and are the rays of one light. Now you might be saying to yourself, I wish I was at a Baha'i church today. <laughs> I can't believe in that. 
Can I tell you something though? Jesus doesn't want to be on that team. Isn't it something how all the religions want Jesus on the team? Imagine going to school with Michael Jordan. He's pretty cool, right? I mean, I know he didn't make it to the uh, you know, sophomore to the varsity team, but you still maybe do the Batman pajama, right? Let's say you're playing college basketball. There he is. He's awesome. Everybody wants Michael Jordan. But imagine Michael Jordan saying, I don't play on anybody's team. You see, the Buddhists are saying, I'm cool with Jesus, just as long as you guys are cool with Buddha. The other one is saying, Hinduism, we're cool with Jesus, as long as you're cool with Krishna. Islam, we're cool with your Bible, as long as you're cool with our Quran. The Baha'is, we're cool with Jesus, Krishna, and Muhammad. They are like the, the ultimate religion of, of, uh, of spirituality buffets. But you got to also be cool with Baha'u'llah, the last one, the last messenger who came in the late 1800s. I want to give you some proofs right now from the Bible that will help you understand this has never been the teaching of Christianity. Whether you like it or not, you have to deal with it. Jesus is a figure that believed in one truth, and he wasn't sharing it with anybody else. Start with the Old Testament and the prophets. Now, of course, I could keep us here at 3 in the morning giving you proofs for all this, but just trust me, i got like five scriptures for each one, okay? So I just want to put them up there clearly so I don't have to bog it down with scriptures. Start with the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt worship no other God nor bow down before them. So what does the God of our Bible say? You can't worship the God of, uh, of Babylon. You can't worship the gods of Egyptians or Egypt, uh, no, almond ray. You can't worship the gods of Assyria. I'm the only one. Let's get it straight. That's what God says. I'm the only one. You're only bow down to me. That's what God says in the Old Testament. You go to number two, the message of John the Baptist. He's this figure that's between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and uh, he's preparing the way for Jesus. And when he's preparing the way for Jesus, he's saying one thing over and over and over again. When Jesus comes, that's when it's all settled, settled, said, and done, period. He said, I'm here, the opening act, and when he comes through those doors, y'all better be ready, because that's it. Nobody else but Jesus. Then you look to the message of Jesus. You know that Jesus was alive? Hinduism was very popular at that time. Pluralism, religious pluralism, was actually the religion of Rome. You know, a lot of times we don't understand how Jesus would get crucified in Rome and how Christians would suffer martyrdom for the first 300 years of Christianity with Nero and all these other uh, uh, Roman emperors throwing them into lions, then having them be eaten alive from the gladiators. It's a historical fact. Do you know why Christians were betrayed and lost their property, confiscated? It's because they weren't religious pluralists. If you remember when I talked to you about Jesus last week and we raised the dead, uh, excuse me, the first week when we talked about the historical evidence of Jesus, you remember that one of the historians said, you know, these Christians, all they do is talk about Jesus and reject all the other gods. Do you remember that? It was a sign that we worshiped Jesus from the very beginning, but now it's a sign to us to say the problem we have with the Roman Empire is that everybody was to be accepted. The Christian had a problem back then. He was saying, we're the only way. I know it may sound prideful in our society, but this is the Jesus that we serve. And I'm going to hopefully help you want to believe this in a few moments, because why? It's true. Number four, the message of the disciples. When you read the letters of Paul to the letters of James or the letters of Timothy, you read any of these letters, is there any doubt in these people's mind that Jesus is one among many or the only way? There is no doubt. He's the only way. Paul says there is one God and there is mankind and one mediator between man and God. That is the man Christ Jesus. Period. Boom. These statements were so deducted and dogmatic that they became the creeds of the church. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. 
And then we look at the message of the early Christians. As they were being tortured, as they were being killed, they said, we shout it loud. We shout it clearly. Ignatius, one of these men, said, we tell the whole world, with blood streaming down our faces, being burned alive, our families being taken, we are Christians. That's what the early church believed. Now, let me just take a pause here before you just think of another one of these of fundamental Christians that are just self-absorbed and only believing in their own truth. Let's take the best example that people have given to me. It's a Hindu parable or like a proverb. And let's look at this example of the elephant. And this is what we were talking about before when the Hindu uh, hymns and the Vedas said that there's one source of all truth but many rays. Here's how the parable uh, basically goes. Imagine there's five blind people, uh, excuse me, four blind people, all placed around the elephant at one time. So they're blind, they can't see anything, they're placed around the elephant. The first one touches, and he touches it, and he's grabbing the leg, and he's supposed to describe what he believes he's touching. He's blind, he can't see, he's touching the leg, and he says, I'm touching a tree. I'm touching a tree. Are you sure? Yes, I gotta be touching a tree. Another one is by the tusk, and he's touching the tusk. And they say, what are you touching? He's blind. He says, I'm touching a spear. Are you sure? Yes, I am touching. This is a spear. Another man is by the end, by the tail. What are you touching? He's blind. He can't see anything. I'm touching a rope. This is a rope. I'm holding a rope in my hand. And then lastly, someone is touching the trunk. And they say, oh, what are you touching? Oh, I'm touching a snake. This must be a snake. So one is saying, I'm touching a tree. Another one says, I'm touching a spear. Another one says, I'm touching the snake. And another one says, I'm holding on to a rope. Now, this is the way the story goes, is which one is right? They're all right, because each one, to his own perspective, is touching only what he knows from his perspective. But my friends, is this how we look at religious truth? The bottom line is, when those blind men can see clearly, do they now all agree? They should all agree. And the first thing they realize is, I was wrong. I wasn't touching a spear, though I thought I was. I wasn't touching a tree, though I thought I was. I wasn't touching a rope, though I thought I was. I wasn't touching a snake. I was touching an elephant. And guess what the Bible says? When Jesus Christ comes into your life, your blinded eyes are open. You say, I once was blind, but now I see. There is a spiritual reality that blind men are all stumbling around missing because they have not yet accepted what Christ said is true. And you might say, well, Pastor, it kind of just sounds like it's his way or the highway. Well, let me just put it in his words from another passage, and then I'll let you decide today. John 10, 7 through 13. Once again, a few chapters before John 14, and here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus said to them again, Verily, verily, I tell unto you, I am the gate. Everybody say, Jesus is the gate. Thank you. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 8. All who have come before me are what? Thieves and robbers. Hold on, Jesus. Uh, uh, Buddha came before you, and he was talking to people about the way to heaven. And he, he said a lot of good things. He said, the one that came before me said something else. Thief and robber. Oh, depends on Jesus. You might understand now why they crucified him. You don't crucify someone you love. Jesus was a troublemaker. Jesus upset his very own people. He even told them many times, you've missed the truth by your own traditions. Did Hinduism come before the time of Jesus? 
were the, were the Egyptian gods before the time of Jesus? Were all the religions you and I could see, most world religions were already established by the time of Jesus. And at this point, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, singular, referring to Satan, we'll get to him in just a moment, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Can I tell you who helps convince us of spears, snakes, ropes, and trees? It's this one that we find in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, a serpent, who has been a liar from the beginning, and he knows no truth because he only speaks lies. And he comes to us, and you know what he says? You don't need God to tell you what's right or wrong. You eat of this tree, your eyes will be open, and then you'll decide for yourself what is good and evil. Do you remember this in the Garden of Eden? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know that Satan's tactic as a thief, this entire time from the time of Adam and Eve, has always been to say, you don't need nobody telling you. You get to make up your own mind. And since we've eaten of that apple, how's it going for mankind? How have we done? How has our societies turned out? How are we treating our children? 50 million children in America, the greatest land of the free, have been killed in infanticide. In the last hundred years, in World War I and World War II, we have killed each other with more vicious means than ever before. And even right now, in the age of enlightenment, with science and all of these technologies, people are still killing each other, murdering each other. And some of you might say, ooh, ooh, I got it. It's religion. They're killing each other over religion. But who puts that lie in their heart? The devil. Who puts lies in people's hearts? The devil. Would why point to the devil and say Christians did evil in the devil's name in crusades? In those times of wickedness, burning witches, absolutely. Christians have been deceived just as much. But it doesn't take them take them off the hook or put Islam on the hook or anything else. Uh, it doesn't confuse, excuse me, it doesn't uh, make anybody else look better because we've all done wrong. The point is, what is the truth? Jesus is saying, there's a thief that wants to steal your life. He wants to kill your life. He wants to destroy you. If he can use false Christianity... He'll do it. Conquesting Christianity, he'll do it. If he can use another prophet to do it. You know that when Muhammad went to the cave and said he received a vision, he said that it choked him, he wanted to die, he tried to run off of a cliff. Does that sound like a Holy Spirit to you? When Krishna came to this earth, one of the stories was he hid up in a tree, he hid the, the women's clothes bathing in the water, and then when they came out naked, he danced and frolicked with them in their nakedness. Does this sound like Jesus, my friends? Somewhere along the line, there has to be a truth. Somewhere along the line, there has to be a way. Somewhere along the line, there has to be life. And if there is somebody that is against life, if there is somebody that is against truth, and if there is somebody against there being a way, it is Satan. And today, my friends, I believe Satan is battling for us in our souls and our consciences. Let's keep reading verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Y'all remember Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Who is now identified here as the shepherd? Jesus. This is a divine proclamation. He says, that person, David, who said, I have a shepherd in Psalms 23, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The hired hand is not the shepherd. These are the prophets and those who have come before him and does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and the, the, attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He even speaks to those who have come in his name, taking care of his sheep, meaning at times even the Jewish people, the chosen people, have even run away from his truth. And if you re read the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, God is already rebuking his people, saying, you've lost my commands, you're worshiping other gods, you're not keeping my things holy, and these are the reasons why this calamity has come upon you. And Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not like the thief. Those who have to come before me are thieves and robbers, and I'm not going anywhere because I lay down my life. Now you have a choice today to make. This may not be a feel-good sermon on a Tuesday, but I believe this is an important decision for you to accept, as would be a decision on whether or not you would stop at a red light, whether or not you would take medication if you were sick, or whether or not you would do your duties to your family and to your children. God is asking you today, do you believe him? And I want to give you three things today in closing that made Jesus Christ unique, and that I believe you can base your life upon Jesus Christ more than any teacher, anyone else. You will understand as we close out this series, well, I believe there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. Number one, the incarnation. If Jesus is who he said he is, in John 1, 1, he came from heaven to this earth. No one has come from heaven to this earth and walked among us. Jesus was not just saying, I am a good man. Jesus was saying, I am the God man. Jesus forgave sins as God. Jesus did miracles not in God's name, but in his own name. Jesus commanded people to worship him and obey him, even while he was on this earth. And he said, I will come again with the angels of heaven and separate this world as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. If Jesus pre-existed before this planet, it was ever created and was in the presence of God Almighty and was an agent to its creation, the very fact he showed up here and started talking to you and I is all the evidence we need. Who is the most popular person in all the world? Jesus. What is the most read book in all the world? Jesus. Uh, the Bible, his teachings. And what happens eight times faster than the rate of birth? That means every time there is a baby born on this planet, eight more except this message of Christianity. It is the fastest growing religion in any place today in the world. Jesus in his name is being made great. Why? Because people believe this message. People believe this message. Number two, the work of the cross. You can find Buddha in a grave. You can find Muhammad where he died. You can find all of these other great teachers, Bahá'u'lláh of the Baha'is. You can find them in their grave. Those that were here during the second week of Jesus being the resurrected Savior, understand that I gave five proofs of the resurrection. And one of the greatest proofs is the empty tomb with Roman soldiers, guards who were sworn to death to keep what they were supposed to do on a post. If it would happen, if there would be sabotage, they would die. There was a Roman seal placed over it, over the large stone. And when the women came on the day of Sunday, the stone was rolled away, the soldiers had run away, the tomb was empty, the grave clothes lied there, and Jesus was appearing at another place, not half beaten and, and, and passed out and just reviving himself, as some people said he did. He wasn't really dead on the cross, but he revived in the tomb. He never would have been able to move the stone. The Roman soldiers wouldn't have run away, and he wouldn't have appeared in perfect health somewhere else. Jesus Christ's resurrection is one of the most attested miracles 
of all known history. And that is why people like Lee Strobel, people like Josh McDowell, and so many others convert to Christianity because of the work of the cross. Now, let me just tell you again why this is so important. Jesus never taught his teachings as what is going to save you and I. Jesus taught that you and I could never save ourselves by our good works and that we would always fall short. Let's just take a good person test right now and see how we've done, okay? Has anybody here ever told a lie? Okay, let's not lie in church. How many of you have said to yourself, I won't tell a lie, but yet somehow you told a lie? How about looking after a woman or a man lustfully? How many have ever done that? How about this one? How many here have ever coveted what somebody else had? It wasn't yours, but you said, I deserve this. I should have somebody ever coveted. Now, how many of us know we've only gotten the four out of the Ten Commandments, and we have already got an F on the good person test? How many know that right now we can try so hard and say, I'm not going to lust again, man. I'm never going to lust again. Oh, pretty woman, walking down the street, pretty woman. Oh, God. I'm never going to covet again. I'm never going to covet. And then somebody rolls up in a Hummer or a horse. Oh, you know, we struggle in ourselves to be obedient. God said, you'll never be good enough. The cross says you're forgiven. The cross doesn't say you're good enough. You, you did most of the effort. You know, like my daughters are going to try to reach up to the cabinet. They're going to step up on the stool. And then when they get their hands stretched out and they're about this far away, I'm just going to give them a little boost. The cross isn't your little boost of, of good works. Well, you're just you're just 99% good, and God's just going to put you up that last percent because just that's a good tissue. Now, let me tell you who you are. You are a dirty, rotten sinner, dead in the grave, not able to do one good thing, and Jesus Christ is the only hope of your resurrection of a new life. That's what we call being born again. The only way I can stop being a dirty, rotten sinner is by the power and the life of Jesus Christ, and he taught it was the cross. That's why he said, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. Do good works come after a person has trusted their life to Jesus Christ? Absolutely. He said to those who believe in him in John chapter 8, you have believed in me, that is good. He said, now if you want to truly be my disciples, know the truth, and the truth will set you free, baby. Come on. Come on. Am I ready to preach like I'm on the south side? Hallelujah. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Everybody go free. Set out free. Free. Have fun in church. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I believe in God. How is my life changed now by following his commands? It all starts with the work of the cross. And number three, the work and the miracle of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 28 basically says it like this. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, don't believe anything he said. I'm going to say that again. The writer Paul in the Bible said, if he didn't raise from the dead, if he didn't ascend to heaven, and all he was was another good teacher, then that means he's a stinking liar, because his teachings always told us he would die, raising him to heaven. So if he didn't do it, he's a liar, throw away his teachings. You see, Jesus didn't give us a choice. Jesus was basically saying to us, this is who I am. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? You see, I don't believe we get the choice to redefine truth. I don't believe I get the choice to say, 2 plus 2 is 5 to me, but 2 plus 2 is 4 to you. I don't believe I get the choice to whether or not I get, can define Danny as a young schoolgirl dressing up in a ballerina outfit <laughs> with a little lollipop and pigtails <laughs> prancing on a Belmont and Clark tonight looking for some new friends, okay? I, I don't get the choice to redefine things as I see fit. 
But I do have a choice to whether or not I believe that. I do have a choice to whether or not I believe you. You tell me so. No, Joe, it's true, man. I, I was late because, you know, something happened. I have a choice to believe you. I had a choice to believe my wife when she looked me in her eye, and we looked each other in the eyes on a wedding day. To death do us part. I had a choice to believe that. I had a choice to believe uh, whether or not my parents were going to come back after they dropped me off at the mall. You know, they could have just been like, we're out of here. Hallelujah. It never came back. Hey, I had a choice. I had to believe. And today, we have a choice to whether or not we believe. And I want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus is he just one among many? Are you going to strip him away of his divine statements? Strip him away of his miracles? And make him be a little cute, deep little baby Jesus, like on holiday night, baby Jesus. You know, baby Jesus. Is Jesus just going to be this cute little baby, and you're just going to place him on the buffet of all these other religions? Or are you going to let Jesus define who he is? And just say, I believe that. I believe you're the way. I believe you're the truth. I believe you're alive. I believe there's no way to get to the Father except by what my name. Jesus, I believe you're the gate that I need to pass through to go into good pastures. And I believe you're my good shepherd. And that you're going to take care of me. You'll never leave me. Even though everyone on this world, even my parents will leave me one day when they pass away. But you defeated death. Therefore, you never leave me. I had a choice to make when I was 18 years old. Many of you have already heard the story, but I want to just close out with it again. Because I want you to hear the different side to it. When I was 18 years old, I was on drugs, on high school dropout. I've been arrested eight times already, but I had been brought up as a Christian. And I knew in my mind that there was a truth to Christ. But the problem that bothered me the most about Christianity were those darn commands. If Jesus wouldn't just command me not have sex before marriage, you'd be a cool Jesus. You'd be the rock and roll Jesus, you know? I wanted Jesus to be my DJ. And that's why I wanted to sum this up, because the flyer had rock and roll Jesus. Jesus says, DJ, you know, we want Jesus on Christmas and Easter, Christmas. We want Jesus at funerals. And that's kind of the way I want Jesus to be. I just wanted him to stay on the shelf, stay out of my life, and just let me do what I wanted to. You see, I grew up with parents that wouldn't let me forget about his commands. They reminded me continually, obey your parents, commanded by the Lord. Don't lie to us, Joe, where were you last night? Don't take things, because I got arrested twice for stealing, because these things don't belong to you. So at the age of 16, I dropped out of school, moved out on my own, started doing everything that I felt was right in my own eyes. I made the choice between good and evil. If you would ask me, I would say I'm a great guy. Because I'm not as bad as the other guy that I call evil. You know what evil looks like? Oh, it's that child western. And how dare you judge me because I'm so much better than that. Don't worry, I steal and do drugs. That's just because I need to get by. You don't know me. You went through what I went through. You would do what I do. You see, I thought everything was relative. And after a few joints, a couple beers, and with some people on the couch, I would start telling stories about what I thought God would be like and how I thought we were all energy. We all get to decide our own fates in life. And when we die, we just go on the blissful surfing of energy for the rest of our life. But you see, I began to fall apart on the inside because the choices I was making had consequences that were true, whether or not I acknowledged it or not. And I started becoming addicted. I started having anxiety attacks, and I started losing my friends because I was using them for my own benefit. And by the time I was 18, I called up my mother, and I said, place me in a mental hospital because I'm going crazy. Where did my craziness come from? Me always choosing good from evil, good from evil, and the choices that I were making weren't panning out. And my mom said, you just need Jesus, Joe. Why? Because she was saying, Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. I cursed her out on the phone, and I said, after you, after Jesus, 
because I don't believe in that. Here's the part that you guys are going to hear in the other time I told it, but it applies to this message. When I came home, I gave my mom the ultimatum. I said, if Jesus doesn't work, I'm going to give one shot to prayer. If it doesn't work, will you promise me to take me to the hospital? And she said yes. And as we sat down there that day, I said, let me just tell you, Jesus is no different than Buddha, Muhammad, or any of them. None of them make a difference. And my mom said, I don't know about any of them, but I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. And when my mother began to pray, I felt the power of God. That resurrection power that he said would still come by the Holy Spirit, I felt that touch my life. You know how long ago that was? That was 16 years ago. I didn't take 12 steps. I took one step to Jesus. Never did drugs again. Never drank again. Never had sex until I got married. So you know I got saved. Amen? Yeah. You know I got saved. That's eight and a half years of virginity. Cold showers and all with no pornography. You know I got saved. Yeah. Y'all looking at me crazy. Y'all are perfect. That day, Jesus Christ convinced me of something that I had never understood. That he was always true. But I was just denying him. And some of you may say, Pastor, you know, my life isn't that bad. I'm, I'm doing pretty good at making my own path for me. I'm you know, doing pretty good on my own morals. He also said he's the only way to life. Indestructible life. Because you know what? All of us have to fight with that. We don't know when. We don't know how. But it's going to happen. Bible describes on that day when you pass from this world, you're going to go into the next world. You're going to realize who's the Lord of that world. The Bible says on that day your life is going to be judged by everything you've done here on this earth. And Jesus will expose every lie, every truth. He will expose the things you've done for vanity and selfish ambition. He will expose the things that you did in secret and the thoughts that you had of others towards ill, towards your neighbors, the disobedience that you did behind people's back, the backstabbing. Everything will come to light that day. And then you will realize he is the only chance of forgiveness. And sometimes people say, well, then when I realize that, that day I'm going to ask you to forgive me. Go back to the story. Jesus said, you have to believe it now. He said, you know where I'm going and you know the way. Thomas said, hold up, I don't even know where you're going. I don't know the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can we all stand up together, please? Thank you for your attention. Just give me a few moments to pray and, and worship with you before we go. Vanessa, would you come? Let's just pray and ask God to search our hearts and look. What has been spoken here is true.